This is That's So Second Millennium, where we explore issues at the interface between science, philosophy, and Catholic theology. I'm your host, Paul Giesting, and your co-host is Bill Schmidt. Darsha Narvaez is an innovative and influential scholar of psychology and is a professor of psychology emerita at the University of Notre Dame. She writes books, blogs, and creates digital content to serve both academic and everyday audiences. She reaches out to seekers of natural insight and morality who want to reflect the best of human wisdom in their parenting and in all their encounters. The book that may best sum up her work is Neurobiology and the Development of Human Morality, Evolution, Culture, and Wisdom, published in 2014. In 2017, she received the Expanded Reason Award, a distinctive honor bestowed by the Joseph Ratzinger Benedict XVI Foundation. It recognizes pioneers whose research and programs reflect Pope Benedict's roadmap to broaden the horizons of reason. Bill and I have had the privilege to interview Professor Narvaez twice previously. She cares deeply about the challenges that are crucial to human flourishing, challenges that are in some ways more daunting now than ever. This is episode 138 of That So Second Millennium. In this interview, we return to the question of early human development and its critical role in shaping our lives. Professor Narvaez takes very radical positions about the needs that babies have for attention and physical touch. For very many of us, our experience was not at all what she proposes as the healthy norm. It's worth thinking very carefully about how far human experience has drifted from the world our ancestors inhabited. In the modern world, it's easy to look at the many riches we have in terms of food, industrial capacity, and medicine, and overlook the things we've lost in terms of focus on work, productivity, entertainment, and material possessions over family, friendships, and community relationships. It might seem impossible to change how we parent or to support parents and children in our communities to conform to her standards, but gradually and with prayer and reflection, we can find ways to put the quintessential human goods of relationships into more prominent roles in our lives and push back against the idols of our time. Here's our third interview with Dr. Darsha Nairweis. It's very good to have you uh, back with us, Dr. Novice. Um I uh, thought that now would be a perfect time to tap your uh, wisdom and insight again, because it does seem to be uh, 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 what uh, I always heard was uh, a curse. Uh, uh, we're living in challenging times, right? And um, uh, the uh, the perfect storm of many different things seems to be be happening, but it's beyond so many of us, especially since we're so distracted uh, by media and by the current story du jour, it's very hard to actually piece together um, even the start of a diagnosis of, of the things that are happening in society and in culture uh, globally. And just as importantly, I think you'd agree, just as importantly, uh, the local culture, the that right down to the individual. And that's what you have a, a, a keen grasp on, the connections between all of those things. Can we ask you to just kind of maybe uh, uh, paint a diagnosis kind of picture of where you see us now uh, with reference to a number of the things that, that you study in, in psychology? Certainly. Glad to be with you. Uh, pleasure. Thank you. I have... Uh, determined that we are on a trauma-inducing pathway that we've been on more and more in the last uh, centuries, millennia perhaps, depending on what you count, 
where we undercare for young people, for children, for babies especially. They especially need uh, intensive care because their brain is being constructed. They're only born with at full-term birth with 25% of the adult-sized brain. So a lot's happening in those first years, and every experience matters. And we kind of forgot that because adults have been distracted by their own needs and and uh, work and everything, and the culture kind of says, oh, babies are resilient, doesn't matter what you do, and <clears throat> you've got to teach them independence, or you're going to spoil them, and all this stuff that's actually the opposite of what is true. And so you create people who are uh, dysregulated. So at very various levels, all the way to their immune system, the stress response, the neurotransmitters, all that's affected by poor early care, sending babies to daycare at six weeks because moms have to work, because we don't have paid maternal leave for uh, several years as other advanced nations uh, have. And uh, so then you end up with children that are who are dysregulated and disconnected from their parents, too, because they're all busy and everyone is running around. And then they become adults who are also not well and have all sorts of health problems, as we can see in our country. In the United States, we have epidemics of all sorts of health problems, physical health problems, mental health problems, suicide. I mean, it's every age now. Uh, it's unbelievable. Even pregnant women, apparently, there's an uh, increase in suicide. Uh, yeah, it's oh, just hor- I just heard that today. It's horrific. Uh, and then, the, so these adults who are all dysregulated and distracted and uh, they over-control or under-control or, you know, they're just not centered and they're not heart-centered. They are trained to be just uh, kind of uh, suppress their spirits and develop their full mm-hmm. selves. And then their gut reactions, their survival systems are very trigger, easily triggered because they were so stressed, toxically stressed in babyhood, then leads to a brain that's easily threatened and then goes into the threat mode uh, easily. And that uh, reverses all the blood flow. It makes you not able to think very well because the blood is going to your muscles to run or fight, you know. And that's, so it oh. becomes uh, habitual here, uh, dispositional. And those adults then keep a similar kind of culture going. And so we have a film, a six-minute film, BreakingTheCyclefilm.org. And we talk about the two cycles. Right now we are in a, com- a cycle of competitive detachment undercare, ill-being, no wisdom, and then the cycle keeps going. The culture tells the stories to keep the cycle going. Now, that's not our heritage. We've been around for six million years. You could say maybe two million at least, depending on how you count the, the hominid evolution. Uh, and we this is a recent phenomenon. We, our ancestors, we wouldn't be here if our ancestors had acted the way we're acting, not Yes. <laughs> uh, so what we inherited, what our uh, normal species, normal species, typical way of being is the wellness informed pathway where you meet the basic needs of the young without resistance. You give in to the baby's needs with humility and then they develop a very regulated, cooperative, connected way of being with others and they turn into adults who are well and become wise, and then they keep a culture uh, going of of cooperative companionship. 
And that then is what we see in societies that meet the basic needs of their children, which especially the babies, we call that the evolved nest when you meet their needs according to our species normal way of growing and developing our young. And what we see in societies that do that is you got thriving people and they're happy and they're healthy and they get along well and they're cooperative and empathic. They listen, they're connected to uh, other people, but also to the natural world. They don't, they, they're not careless. They're not arrogant. Uh, they're not wasteful. And those are the values then that are part of what we call a kinship worldview, primal wisdom or indigenous wisdom, depending on how you want to call it. And so I'm seeing that at every level, we were just deteriorating. It's like, uh, it's like the, uh, we're turning to ashes, this world and nature and the human nature. We forgot what it is, right? Because we don't have the role models. We, our baselines have shifted so much over the centuries to think this is normal and this is all we got. Yeah. Yeah. And is it somehow inevitable that things would be getting worse? Uh, part of me likes to point the finger at uh, everything from uh, violence and economy uh, weakness and COVID and now war fears and all of that. Are those things kind of um, uh, feeding uh, feeding this decay or making us less resilient toward it? Uh, what's what's the effect of current? themes uh, on the that very basic truth that you I point out. I think it's interrelated. So <clears throat> the stories we tell ourselves are then shaping how we act and how we treat kill- children. And uh, then our, so there's a top-down effect of that, stories and institutions and pal- policies and practices. But then there's the bottom-up aspect of how we raise children really, really matters, but people don't pay attention, right? And, and so then you've You've undermined, like uh, building a house without a, a steady, sturdy foundation. You know, it can keep going for a while, but when that storm comes, <laughs> when something it's going to tip over, and you can have all these problems, and that's what happens when you have no biological right. gaps in the brain uh, that develop from undercare. I call it undercare when you don't have the nest. And uh, it comes later, uh, so you don't see it right away in the baby. The baby just learns to shut up. Uh, and and just survive, right? But then there's gaps that, you know, they'll be depressed, suicidal, anxious, and they come up in adolescence, even adulthood, suicidality, all this stuff. We can see now science is showing us. So these practices of leaving babies to cry, have making them sleep by themselves, which is all very unnatural for a mammal. Uh, all those ideas came before we had the science the neuroscience, the developmental neuroscience that shows us the damage that can be done. Huh. Yeah. One follow, one follow up, uh, last follow up. Um, this might be overly uh, on the borderline of overly political or overly simplistic. Um, but uh, when you, when you mentioned that, you know, we're, we're essentially telling our young people to, uh, to shut up and uh, just uh, be uh, something less than they they can be. Uh, I'm thinking of the um, the masking situation with schools and how that became a real hot potato issue. And um, so many people seem to be scared that 
the, the masks are at, at least an outward sign of something uh, deeply wrong with um, our relationship with kids. Is there is there any wisdom in that? Well, I think the mask situation is rather complicated um, uh-huh. because yes. at first they didn't realize it was transmitted by air and breathing. <laughs> they thought it was touch, you know, so they sprayed everything. And then they realized, oh, it's through the air and standing three feet or less next to someone, you can get those uh, particles. But so the mask thing is, is uh, I don't know, it's become so politicized, it's hard to say. I think it, it probably wasn't good for babies to be around people with masks on because they're learning something and oh, stuff. Yeah, they can't. But the no, new no, study no. came out on uh, preschoolers and elementary school, I think, uh, showing that their language development was not affected. Yeah. Oh, well, that's so, good. yeah. So I, you know, the but I think the bigger thing is the pandemic having a, a virus that attacks us uh, is a signal that we've been mistreating the Earth creation because it's yeah. us moving into these environments and, and um, mowing down forests and being in contact with animals we don't usually get in contact with. Uh, that then they, the, their viruses leap to us. It should be noted, though, that we, are, we carry viruses. We carry fungi. We carry bacteria. They keep us alive. They keep, yeah. you know, we're very complicated communities, each of us, our bodies. Our microbiome is amazing. It, it keeps us alive. So we don't want to be killing off the microbes, uh, really. It's uh, when we're not healthy and we have so many unhealthy people in the United States, then it's easy to get sick and to um, have, you know, even die from this kind of uh, COVID. But viruses are there to make you stronger. The evolution is about making you stronger and stronger. You know, you get a little sick and then you have your stronger for the next time. That's how it works mm. and and uh, the complexity of it all we've just sort of forgotten that and we forgot that we're part of the youth community we're not you know separated that's crazy God didn't make right, us separate right. they, God created the earth all of us together as community members and and in our long heritage of millions of years of being here we were cooperative with the natural the rest of the natural world we didn't exterminate or want to kill off. We we lived with predators. We lived with all the other animals and plants. We should be using these tough times as a kind of opportunity to embrace uh, a sense of resilience in us, huh? But uh, otherwise, we're we're instead we're kind of uh, really feeling um, weak and uh, victimized and. Just kind of uh, not a match to the task. Ahead. Yeah, that's because we forgot so many skills of being well on the earth with the bio community. That's our normal species way of growing and being, just like every other species gets along, you know, unless they encounter a, an angry, scared human. <laughs> <laughs> they probably encountered those more often than in the past. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to get back to restoring our abilities. There, we have instincts to get along, right? We have instincts to connect with each other, but also with the natural world. And we have to get back to those to really fulfill our human nature. Well said, hmm. Paul. Yeah, I had a uh, question. I wanted to try to follow up on something that went by. You know, 
uh, especially the comment about, you know, viruses being there to make us stronger and then thinking about the role of, um, you know, parenting, nesting. Um, there's a, there's a certain skill of, you know, inferring when it's good to challenge your child, when it's, you know, what, what the appropriate level of nurture and then stretching them and then nurturing them again so that they can, you know, process and gain the lessons and physically recover, whatever it might be. Um, could you talk about that a little bit, what, what role it's uh, assigned to that? Sure. Now this gets uh, tricky for Westerners to think about, but we should be letting the child guide us for what they need. So you have to understand what the nest is, which is pretty much carrying the child, all the baby, all the time until they want to move. Then you let them move. But whenever they're ready to be in your arms, you're there in your arms or on your back or next to you all the time. Uh, that's vital for growing the brain and body well. Uh, and then to really follow their interests. And there's certain things that children develop uh, interest in. And most of childhood should be playing, <laughs> physical, social playing, outside, free, not corralled, not uh, in the stroller, <laughs> not uh, limited, uh, and not teaching babies to read not teaching preschoolers to read, not forcing them to sit and learn to do worksheets. This is killing them. <laughs> it's killing their imagination, kills their social skills. I mean, they're, they're oriented to immersed learning. So everything you can do as a parent to help them be free and immerse, immersed in a safe environment, right? So that means not, of course, running in the street. So, but you don't want to say no to a young child, a two-year-old, they're still learning. They don't have the capacity to, uh, they don't have the empathic capacity to take your perspective. So they don't know that when they're uh, hitting the stick onto somebody that it's hurting you. But in our ancestral context, that turns into a game because everyone knows that a two-year-old is not human yet. They're still learning to be human. And so you just make it, tease it, you know, tease the child and, you know, no punishment. So no corporal punishment. Half of parents admit that they spank their one-year-olds. That's a terrible thing uh, because it shifts the trajectory of development away from, you know, blossoming like a beautiful uh, flower. That's your life goal, right? To find your gifts to share with the world. Uh, instead, then you, you hunker down you start to get self-protective. You start to not follow your heart your and not develop your intuition about how to get along well in the world. So uh, we have to, as Westerners, let go. And one of the good books to get a, a sense of this back from the 70s is The Continuum Concept by Jean Liebloff about her. She was an accidental anthropologist, really. Spent a lot of time in the Amazon. Mm. And she uh, wrote about the contrast in how the people were and how they raised their children with her upbringing as a socialite in New York City. Uh, and so it's uh, really, it was, I think it inspires. Um, so I, I urge you to read that. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Too, too often um, nowadays, the parents kind of impose a different image of uh, imagination 
on kids and indeed on on everyone it's not so much about the uh, the freedom to to blossom but gee look at look at how they're so creative and so able at a young age with computers and social media and they will be imaginative with um, virtual reality and artificial reality and and all of that um, but that's not really the kind of pathway toward imagination that you're that's describing right. huh? uh, because that's too narrow it's too limited it's okay for teenagers after they've had a childhood of running around and playing socially uh, and it's something they can pick up very quickly so but getting along face to face and and recognizing signals and controlling your aggression when you're playing with somebody which you have to do or they'll stop playing with you <laughs> if right. you don't learn that in childhood, it's hard to learn it later. So that's vital for uh, just all. There's just a million things you have to know to be able to play well with somebody and be free and open and, and cooperative and coordinating. That, you know, if you've got a child who's been sitting in front of a screen their whole childhood, they're not going to be able to do that. And they're going to have trouble getting along and they will want their own way. So one of the things that happens when you're under care for a child is you're enhancing those survival systems, fear, rage, <clears throat> panic right. that we're born with to keep us alive. And now you've enhanced them and underdeveloped the cooperative, egalitarian, uh, relational attunement aspects. <clears throat> and so it's you, you can become a black and white kind of thinker. You get a uh, dominant submission orientation to life because you don't know anything else. That's how you were treated. You were treated, you know, to shut up or whatever it is, you know, go sleep by yourself. Uh, and I love you. Really? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is, uh, so I work at multiple levels and I started working in moral development when it was as a grad student, when it was focused on reasoning and thinking and will. And after reading widely realized, ah, <laughs> that's a late, <laughs> late signal of moral development. It starts in the neurobiology. So are you going to be open and relationally attuned? Are you capable of that? Are you going to honor whoever you meet? Are you flexible enough to do that? Are you confident enough to do that? Or are you oriented to, you know, dominating whoever you meet, uh, judging them, categorizing them, you know, treating them more like an object. So the, the nest uh, experience is going to help you learn to treat others like a thou, I-thou relationship, where you are honoring them for their uniqueness and you're there to witness and to encourage the beauty in the other person. <clears throat> Otherwise, you're learning I-it relationships to uh, to treat others like objects. What can I get from you? How can I manipulate you? How can I make you uh, do what I want? Uh, how can I feel safe away from you or whatever, withdraw or uh, oppose you? <clears throat> so it's really critical. This is about spirituality, right? How we are in the world, how our being is, how connected we feel to the universe as well. Because the right hemisphere is growing in those early years uh, more rapidly. And the right hemisphere, especially at that time, governs your self-regulation of all sorts of systems. It, uh, it, it governs your empathy and is related to your higher consciousness, your ability to let go of yourself and connect. 
to something greater than yourself. So it's very spiritual. It's really important part of our humanity. And we've kind of neglected it and we've undermined it for several hundred years. Oh, yeah. And just at a time when the goal seems to be more of a kind of a global family, global citizenship, globalism, uh, in whatever ways that that's supposed to uh, Im- imply. But um, we're not even capable of of local relationship in, in a meaningful way right now. I, it's hard to imagine that um, that kind of global fraternity would be any uh, easier and uh, probably would be wind up more artificial, no? Well, there are things to do. I think we, we have to uh, adapt and learn from what has worked for people. Uh, and something I've learned recently is how uh, the mother's emotional expression towards a child, no matter what age a child is, about being connected and, and feeling sad when they weren't connected, to express those things actually then starts to reconnect them. And the child then gets back in sync with the mother at very physiologically, various levels. <clears throat> I think we need to do that with one another when we meet someone in the street and try to be there with them, not in the I-it <laughs> relationship, but in the we are, you know, the I-thou relationship. To be uh, able to self-calm and not get <clears throat> panicked or anger or f- afraid. So you have to learn practices to self-calm. And then to be reaching out to the other. And the more you do that, the more practice you have, the more it will become automatic. <clears> hmm. <throat> that's, that's a, a good point. And you, your, uh, your references there really do resonate um, a, uh, a Pope Francis kind of message about, uh, well, he uses terms like encountering the other and accompanying the other and, and listening and, and really making it a two-way street in relationships. And I, I, when, I, when one pictures a, a, a global citizenry with those kinds of characteristics, I can picture it. But otherwise, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to build around us wherever we are. But we can also build, I mean, Zoom allows us to connect with people who are across the ocean. Uh, and so right. uh, to keep others in mind, right? We want to keep them in mind as beings that matter. And I think we have a lot of uh, images of, of the opposite, but uh, to not let go of, of faith that we are in this together, that we are all connected, that we are really one in the Lord, in, in God's creation. Yeah, yeah. I know that uh, uh, Darcia is... Um, very involved in kind of problem-solving efforts to address these kinds of concerns, and you've done work with your class in various at various times, etc. Are there other things um, that you you just started going into it? Uh, are there some other things that would um, would entail uh, things that maybe we should start uh, trying right now, or is spreading some efforts? Well, I always recommend play, so. For adults yeah. to play with young children in particular because they get into it and then you lose your self-consciousness because you're there with them. And that's, uh, and what happens when you're playing in this whole body way, 
uh, is your right hemisphere is growing, your capacities for empathy, your capacities for self-control, your capacities for higher consciousness are all going to be growing when you're playing. So and that's why it's so important for kids to do that as much as possible. But also adults. In our ancestral context, adults were playing a lot too. Lots of singing and dancing and you know, yes. <clears throat> interactions and teasing. Uh, so let's do that. And, and when we get into that moment and that way of being, then we're much more flexible. We, we become more intelligent <laughs> because intelligence is about flexibility. Oh, that's uh, well said. Yeah. God. And COVID did do some damage on that front, too. Uh, uh, there was less play in the sense of just uh, gatherings in a family living room or, or uh, even chances to go to sporting events or be part of sporting well, events. Well, I think some families, though, played more at home together. Is that beneficial yeah. for some families? Not all families, but... Uh and sports yeah. is not quite the same thing. That's controlled by a, some structure, right? And it's usually uh, controlled over the children. It's not the same as free play, which is what we advocate. Oh, very interesting. How, how could people learn more about the, the free play? Uh, because now we're such a sports-centered culture. When they think when we think play, that's what we think. Well, there's uh, various things at evolvenest.org. We have all sorts of information about the nest components and play, free play is one of them. Uh, it's also important to play in the natural world. And Richard Louvre is the one who has done the most visible work on this. He's got several books, Last Child in the Woods, Vitamin N, which has a lots of, I think, 500 ideas for how to uh, get out in the natural world. Really? In a play very often, yeah. That's good. Vitamin N, N being nature. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, all of these things can be parts of our show notes uh, accompanying the episode. Um, whether or not this uh, uh, is actually uh, on on tape, as it were, uh, please, uh, uh, what, what other things, uh, what other links can we furnish, et cetera, to, uh, to let people get to, to know your work better? Uh, including the new we book. We did an experiment that was published last year with undergraduates at Notre Dame on, on really? uh, trying to build their nature connection. Uh, we called it ecological mm. attachment. Um, just kind of many steps towards indigenous connection. Uh, and they uh, had a pretest, and then the, they were they read an essay about the uh, facts about the, how important uh, the condition was the a poem uh, an essay about it and we had two conditions one the critical one was uh, the ecological attachment or nature connection uh, one and what they did after the pretest they had um, and then after the readings they selected 21 activities to do out of maybe 40 some that we gave them and they took those 21 in an envelope and then every day for the next three weeks, they pulled one out of the envelope to do that day. <clears throat> wow. And then they came back for a post-test and we found there was an increase in ecological attachment after just little nudges, you know? So uh, one nudge would be uh, acknowledge the trees on the campus as you walk by today. Watch oh the clouds today. Oh, right. Just to get yeah. you back down. <laughs> into the earth <laughs> and so yeah. what we've done at evolvenest.org we've created 
well, actually, we have a website for this, ecoattachment.dance. And do 28 wow. days of these little nudges. Wow. I love it. And uh, the Evolved Nest website is uh, kind of broader in, in scope than that right. even. Eh? So uh, the Evolved Nest includes yeah. then soothing perinatal experiences. There's nine components. Soothing perinatal experiences, extensive breastfeeding on request, uh, welcome uh, social climate, welcoming social climate, lots of positive right. touch, no negative touch, self-directed free play, social play, ideally, uh, responsive care, responsive relationships, multiple adult, stable, responsive relationships, nature, immersion, and connection, and routine healing practices. And these are the things we see in our ancestral context that uh, we now can say are linked to health and well-being because we have the neuroscience to show it. That is something, yeah. Well, if we can if we can get Americans and people everywhere to be a little bit less distracted by, you know, uh, the um, the shiny object uh, that enters the field of vision, uh, and uh, a little bit more into, uh, as you say, kind of being grounded and uh, and noticing things, uh, that would that would obviously uh, go a long way just toward the uh, reduction of polarization. I think in in society, wouldn't it? We would ap- appreciate each other's qualities, each other's benefits and contributions they make. Yeah, and doing things together uh, helps also to bring, uh, to decrease polarization. So building a community garden, for example. Very uh, good, yeah. Being outside yeah. together, cleaning up a park or, or those kinds of things or arranging play. Pl- uh, Let's Play America arranges street closures and then as you play, the whole neighborhood play together, you know, that kind of well, and I uh, I know that you're a musician as well, and I have to say that um, you're reminding me of the times that I spent out in South Bend at the Music Village, and how just playing music of no particular quality level, but with twenty other folks, just uh, impromptu musicianship, uh, it was so refreshing, and it really does it, it does take you out of yourself and into reality. <laughs> yes, that reminds me of uh, one of the, uh, let's see, I think it was um, uh, Black Lives Matter, perhaps, or one of the protests, demonstrations. Uh, there were neo-Nazis or some very angry people that came along. And what the uh, peace, more peaceful group did was they turned up the music and played music that they could all dance to. <laughs> Turn up the music Perfect. and let's dance. <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah peace train also kind of just uh yep forget this yep. other stuff that's how you play uh, that's play yeah oh i like it i like it yeah well i don't want to take any more of your uh time now but uh, we really do appreciate uh, talking with you at, at this time and hopefully in the, in the future times as well, uh, are you a professor emeritus uh, emerita now? Uh, yes, I, I am. Yeah, but that's not going to slow you down one bit. Am I, that's am right. I right. I'm just getting out of meetings. <laughs> 
Yeah, very good. <laughs> Everyone should be at Emeritus. Oh, yes. <laughs> it can be. It can be the time when things can can actually happen that have needed to happen for mm. a long time. Yeah, play is play opens up and liberates. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's So Second Millennium. TSSM's audio producer is Morgan Burkhardt. Our theme music, Igneous Grok, was composed and performed by Vin Marquardt. For my co-host Bill Schmidt, I'm Paul Geesting. Until next time.